for 49. Talking about con- contracts in Puerto Rico, rich port in Puerto Rico. I didn't know this. They have a taxicab drivers union, a bus drivers union, and a baggage handlers union. If you take a bus from the airport to, to a location or from a location to the airport, you pay the bus to, to deliver you and you have to pay a van driver or a truck driver to deliver your bags. The bus driver is not allowed to carry your bags because there's a bus driver's union and a baggage handler's union, which can end up in somebody... Uh, fighting for an hour and a half at the airport to try and find out where the van driver is with his luggage. And it's amazing how a week of relaxing can go out the window just just so quickly like it never happens. Just amazing how those things work. Y'all have a big storm here yesterday? Yeah, I flew through it. That was a blessing. All right, Genesis chapter 49. We're coming to the letter S in the names and titles of Jesus. And in the morning hour, the main service this morning, we'll start on Jesus as Savior. That'll take a while. And then from there we go to Jesus as Son of God. And from there to Jesus as Son of Man. And the three of those will take up the better part of of the coming uh, month, it looks like. So, praise the Lord for that. Uh, don't mind spending time on Jesus as the Savior, Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus as the Son of Man. But this morning, under these uh, the letter S, we have two right here in this verse. And the Bible says, we start at verse number 8, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hands shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Then here's our verse. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh, capital S, Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Binding his foal under the vine, and his ass's colt under the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes should be red with wine, his teeth white with milk. Now, this is a curious thing. Shiloh, by its interpretation, by its definition, means giver of peace. And the nation of Israel ever seeking the blessings of God apart from God, named a town Shiloh. And when God ordained and established worship in one place, the children of Israel decided they would worship God in Shiloh, believing that their worship or their establishment of a fair place to live, or their dwelling in and occupying the land would bring about the desired peace. This city will give us peace. Our worship and religion will give us peace. And yet the the prophecy in Genesis 49 is not to a place, but to a person. 
It's not to a location, it's not to a, a system of, of uh, religious practices, but to a person. And until that person comes, there'll be no peace for Israel and there'll be no peace on the earth. And we know and believe that person to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's curious about this is the passage also says the scepter, that's the ruling power, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. And, and this is very odd and very curious, because when the nation established the, the monarchy, I mean, God didn't establish a monarchy, the nation established a monarchy, God was to be their king, but they wanted, to be, they wanted a king like all the nations round about them. And so they sought for Saul of Benjamin, not of Judah. So the, the whole kingdom setup thing was an act of disobedience. But what the Lord promised, and, and this is so contrary to the thinking of, of men today, what the Lord established is that the giver of peace would do so by means of a scepter and by means of laws. And in this day of, of licentiousness that's called freedom, and in this day of, of unrestrained pursuit of the lust of the flesh, which is called liberty, it's very hard for people to understand that true peace and true happiness only comes by being governed. And that if that governor and the laws established by that governor are righteous, then and only then can men know and enjoy peace. And, and people just, I mean, whether it's children with their parents or, uh, you know, Christians with their God and their Bible, we just have this idea that anything that restrains me is hurtful to me and is, is, is co- contrary to my enjoyment of life when in fact just the opposite is true. And it is not until the scepter is established in the hand of Shiloh, and it is not until the law goes forth from his lips, and, and all the earth is obedient to that law, that we'll ever enjoy this peace on earth that God wants to give. Now, let's talk about this uh, ruling power, first of all. Come to Numbers 24. Numbers chapter 24. We'll talk about the ruling power, and then we'll talk about the scepter. Numbers 24, verse 15. A king hires a good-for-nothing prophet to curse the nation of Israel. And he doesn't really care about Israel one way or the other, but if the offering's big enough, he'll do whatever the king wants him to do. And so Balaam goes out to curse the children of Israel, and he can't do it. Lord won't let him. Every time he opens his mouth to curse him, out come blessings. And, and the king, he's really fed up with this, and he, he's uh, just pushing Balaam harder and harder to curse the people. And the Bible says, number 24, 15, And he took up his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, hath said, The man whose eyes are open hath said, He hath said, which heard the words of God, and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open." You know when a preacher spends the first two verses of his four-verse message telling you how great he is? It's probably not going to be much of a message. But, but when he finally speaks 
God intervenes and puts his words in his mouth. And here's something we, we all have a hard time with but need to understand. If the word of God is spoken, it's the word of God no matter who speaks it. And Bruce, well, you know, that preacher, he does this, and that pastor, he did that, and that guy, he's a hypocrite. Yeah, but if what he says is straight out of the Bible, it's true, even if the man is false. And so Balaam, he's good for nothing, but what he's about to say is remarkable. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth, and Edom shall be a possession, Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. <laughs> now the king hires Balaam to curse Israel, and Balaam says, King, somebody's going to come out of Israel. I don't see him yet. Somebody's going to come out of Israel. He's not close, but he's coming. And his name will be Scepter. And he's going to whip you and your cousins and your distant relatives. In fact, everybody living in these parts, as far as you can see from one direction to the other, that scepter is going to conquer them and, and destroy them because you're the enemies of his people. Now, how's that for <laughs> not doing what you were paid to do? But notice, they scepter. And there's a capital S on that. So we have Shiloh, the giver of peace, who holds the scepter. And now the scepter itself, that is a name of the Lord Jesus Christ and is capitalized. And so he's going to come and smite enemies in order to establish peace. Okay, let's look at this scepter. Esther chapter number 4. Book of Esther and chapter number 4. Esther has won the beauty pageant, but she's not won the heart of her husband. And it is, she risks her life to go in and speak to him. The Bible says in Esther chapter 4, verse number 10, Again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. How's that for a marriage relationship? Anyway, this king, he holds in his hand that scepter. And that scepter is the symbol that he has power. I have power of life and I have power of death. That's, that's the meaning of the scepter in his hand. That's what Esther said. If I go in there and he bangs that scepter on the floor, the guards come in and I'm dead. If I come in there and he reaches that scepter out to me, then I can come to the king and I have life. That's the power of the scepter in the hand of the king. Now in Numbers 24, the Bible said 
Jesus' name is scepter. He has the power to end your life, and He has the power to draw you unto Himself and allow you to live. That's our Lord. Look in Psalm number 45. Psalm 45, just a few of these this morning. Psalm 45. I I say this again and again under so many different uh, headings. But it is very difficult for free men and freer women in the United States of America to understand much of the Bible. While we, we, our, our entire nation's history is built upon the principle that there is no such king who has power of life or death over me. Why all men are created equal under, under God and, and I can live if I want to live. I can pursue life and liberty and, and happiness just as surely as a, uh, somebody who claimed to be from royalty can. And so that's, you know, that's, okay, that's great. That's a fine principle. We're glad we have it. It's better than, uh, you know, what a lot of our forefathers endured. But when you read about a king with the power of life or death over you, by virtue of his decree, it's hard for us to grasp the absolute power that rests in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now think about it for a minute. I don't want to be under a dictator. I don't. I don't want to be under a monarchy. I don't. But how's democracy working out for you? And that's, that, that's not so hot either. But to stay off the politics and on the Bible... So when a modern, free, independent, self-determinate American reads about an absolute ruler with power to dictate every detail of your life, we instinctively rebel against that. Even though it's biblical Christianity. Well, who's going to tell me what to do? I'm a, I'm a free man. Wait a minute. You are a free man politically as a citizen of the United States. Well, you're not as free as you think you are, but, but you're free. But to leave your American citizenship outside the door when you walk into a church and recognize that you are a bond slave of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and that you don't have equal status and footing with Jesus Christ, but you are to be subject to Him in all things, it's really hard for us to get that. Now, there's two groups of people that you rarely, you rarely have trouble with as a pastor. People who are raised strict Roman Catholics and career military people. Because both have been trained to be subject to authority. And it takes training because it's not our system. See, freedom's a great thing. But the Bible warns in Jude that men would turn liberty, their liberty into a cloak of maliciousness. And you give Americans freedom and remove them from the Bible. 
You give Americans freedom and remove them from Christianity, you're going to get the freedom to run naked. You're going to get the freedom to, to be sexual perverts. You're going to get the freedom to lie and cheat and steal without consequence. Uh, I mean, f- freedom's okay, but you can't give unrighteous people unlimited liberty. Or you're not going to be safe walking the streets. So, so here, here's what we're saying. Jesus Christ is a king like you've never known. He's a monarch like you've never been under. And he absolutely has in his hand the power of life and death over every man, every woman, every boy, every girl in his realm. He has not yet taken unto himself that power, but it's his. He has that power. Psalm 45. Bible says in verse number 6, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Explain that, Lord. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now, where will you find on this earth a dictator who loves righteousness? Where will you find a king or a monarch on this earth who hates wickedness? I don't know who your favorite candidate was in the last election or who your favorite candidate will be in the next election, but they will not be defined by the verse you just read. Now, let's just try to stay off politics, but I'm trying to give you something you can understand. By the way, Obama's so popular, they've now got a holiday to celebrate the man, his policies, and his supporters. Tuesday, they, they call it April Fool's Day. Uh, but that's, normally they wait till somebody dies to have a holiday for them, but they, they get jumping the gun on us. But, but look, now look, your, your country, here's where you are in your, in your nation. George Bush, when you say that name, what comes to people's minds is stupid. He's just stupid. We're so glad he's gone because he was stupid. When, when someone says Bill Clinton, oh, cool guy, great guy, nice guy, like to meet him. Your country's so far gone that a man who gave up drinking because he felt it was hurtful to himself and to his family is stupid. And a man who is known the world over for being a fornicator, an adulterer, and a sexual pervert is a great guy. Now I'm telling you, this world is not going to know peace until someone has the power to govern this world who loves righteousness and hates wickedness. And it's my, it's my firm conviction that it's going to have to be Jesus Christ. I've not seen anybody else in history past, history present that suits that that definition. Have you? Isaiah 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14. 
and verse number 4. That thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased? The golden city ceased. The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted and none hindereth. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. So, what has to happen? All these little rulers, with all their little scepters, all these little principalities and all these little powers that are governing men here and governing men there and governing men elsewhere, someone's going to have to come with the power to use his scepter to break their scepters and to take dominion so that these rise up again no more. That's what, that's what has to happen. Now, in your, in your world today, let's, let's, again, I'm getting too far afield, let's, let's, Try to make sense of this. Early 1900s, some men went to work to put Darwin's newly newly promoted theories of evolution into practice. Marx, Stalin, Lenin, these men were evolutionists. No God, nature. No, Jesus Christ, master race, evolution. And they set about doing rapidly what has been done in the United States of America, gradually. I mean, why little by little with a law every decade or so, and then, you know, taking TV farther into the depths of the sewer every five or ten years? Why, why piddle around? If Darwin's right... Kill the Christians, shut down the churches, ban the Bible, and let's force this thing. That's communism. Well, somebody else got reading Darwin. Hitler, Goebbels, Himmler, and the rest of the guys. Mengele, the mad doctor, and his assistant... You know who Mengele's assistant was? You can look it up if you don't believe me. Dr. Edwin Worth. I heard he escaped, fled to Texas, last seen living. Anyway, I mean, what's it a name? <laughs> but anyway, those guys, listen, you know what those guys were? They were, they were members of the Church of Rome. But they were believers in Darwin's theories of evolution. So what do you do? If Darwin's true, if there's no God, there's no Bible, if Darwin's true, how do you establish a master race? You exterminate everyone who's breeding and reproducing would be a drain on the master race and you only allow the people to live and to breed that you consider to be the top echelon of, of you know, evolution so far. That's, that's the communists and the Nazis. What they had in common is they believed in evolution. They didn't believe in the Bible. Now listen, the only way to stop that is if your scepter is bigger than their scepter and you can break their scepter. Yep. 
It was called the Second World War. Now, as the scepters of the nations who at least profess to believe in some form of Christianity or some form of the Bible deteriorate in the in the farther farther and far, deteriorate farther and farther into anti-God, anti-Bible positions, guess who's rising again? The Communist Party in Russia and the Nazi Party throughout Europe. Like them or not like them, it took Christians, and I'm using that term in the broadest sense of the word, to keep Islam from overrunning Europe 500 years ago. As Europe abandons Christianity, Islam rises again out of the desert and begins to lay hold upon larger and larger portions of the world. What am I saying? The only way to check evil, the scepters of evil, is with a larger scepter in the hand of the righteous. And I'm using righteous and evil in very, very loose national terms, okay? Now look, how are you going to have peace on earth? You can put a coexist bumper sticker on your car if you want to. Drive that thing through Saudi Arabia and see who cares. Go hand out coexist stickers in Pakistan. Campaign for gay marriage in Russia. Look, where you have liberty to be depraved, you can get away with depravity. But everybody's not buying it. And where you have liberty to believe the Bible and preach the gospel, you can do it, but you can't do it in North Korea. You can't do it in, in, in large sections of Indonesia and other places. So, so what are we saying? Power dictates. It always has, it always will. And if you want peace on earth, it's going to take a dictator who will not allow that which disturbs the peace. And we're looking for a scepter with a great big ass, who is also Shiloh with a great big ass, who loves righteousness enough and who hates evil enough to establish righteousness to put down evil and bring about peace on earth. It's Jesus Christ and He's going to do it. Praise God. Alright, Ezekiel 19. Ezekiel chapter 19. Ezekiel 19. Ezekiel 19 and verse 14. And fire is gone out of a rod of her branches, which hath devoured her fruit, so that she hath no strong rod to be a scepter to rule. This is a lamentation, and shall be for a lamentation. Now this is the overthrow and ruin of, of Israel. And... The only thing that kept Israel from being overrun by Midianites or Philistines was if God, by His power, kept those nations from overrunning His people. 
The only thing kept the Chaldeans from coming in and taking the northern tribes into captivity was God exercising his power to protect his people. The only thing that kept the southern tribes from going into captivity, captivity into Babylon was God exercising power to protect his people. And Ezekiel 19 says, well, there they go, off into captivity. Why? There's no scepter strong enough to check Babylon or Rome or Chaldea or Philistia or Midian. That's it. The same nation that mopped up the mighty walled city of Jericho without firing a shot was routed in the very next chapter at the little town of Ai. Israel didn't defeat Jericho. God defeated Jericho. And without God, Israel couldn't take Ai. In a town without a consonant, how tough could they be? <laughs> and so here they are in Ezekiel. Oh no, we're doomed. We can't fight. We're going into captivity. Why not? We have no scepter. And so we see throughout the Bible, this scepter really speaks of the ruling, governing power. And the Bible says the longing, the expectation, the desire of the people is that a scepter should rise out of that tiny little nation known as Israel, that tiny, that tiny little people of God's choosing. And when that scepter, capital S, comes, he will be the giver of peace, Shiloh, that they long for. Now, I'll show you something real interesting. Let's go back to Psalm 45. And then with it, get Hebrews... Chapter number 1, Psalm 45, and Hebrews chapter number 1. Psalm 45, and Hebrews chapter 1. Alright, Psalm 45, verse number 6. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is is a right scepter. Okay, so who's a king? God is. Who holds the scepter? God does. How long will God rule and reign as king with a scepter in his hand forever? All right, Hebrews chapter number 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, had in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed, heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So God the Father, speaking of God the Son. Verse 5, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So God the Father is speaking... Of God the Son. Clear? We see that? Everybody see that? Okay. Verse number 6. And again, when he bringeth in his first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But, unto the Son. Now who's speaking? The Father is speaking. Unto the Son he saith, thy throne O God is forever and ever. 
Now, you know what you have there in Hebrews 1.8? You don't have, well, John's, you don't have John, you don't have Paul, you don't have Peter, you don't have Matthew, you don't have any apostle saying Jesus Christ is God. You have God the Father saying Jesus Christ is God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's the Father speaking of the Son. Now we have a thing here happen. It's only happened, I think, twice in, in, since we started church. We, we've had two times a, a revival where souls were being saved. I mean, God saving people. And, and this one, one time, I think in a space about four or five, six weeks, something like that, we had over 20 people saved, baptized, added to the church, went on for the Lord. That's the ones we count. And you, you count whoever you want. But in the, in the Bible, when they got saved, you could tell it. So anyway. This was going on, we, we, I think, like several weeks in a row. We were baptizing uh, people who had gotten saved. And, and, and it was, Ar- it was uh, Arthur. Remember, Arthur brought this co-worker, this woman he'd met, to, to Sunday school with him. And she was Jehovah's Witness. But she came to church with him. Now, you know God's working when you invite a co-worker who's Jehovah's Witness to come to church with you, and she comes to church with you. And she's sitting back there about where, where Justin is this morning. And, and the... Sunday school teacher was reading through this passage on Hebrews chapter 1, and she stood up, and she stepped out in the aisles. Uh, Sandra was her name. She stepped out in the aisles. She said, is that true what you just read? Yes. And he said, it is. And she walked about halfway up. She said, is that true what you just read? He said, I read it right out of the Bible. And she walked right up there. She said, then I will trust him right now as my Savior. And that woman knelt right there and got saved. And, and, and she's living in Atlanta now. She's still living for the Lord. Saved and born again. And, well, I mean, how do you argue? How do you say he's just a man when God said he's God? And now look what the Bible says here. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou... Hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. You know who that is? That's Jesus Christ. And he doesn't just hold the scepter. He is the scepter. And he will rule for how long? Forever and forever. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So how does that work? Well, God the Father, who's over all. God the Son became man. God the Father said, who am I going to give all these kingdoms to? I don't have a righteous man to, in whom to entrust them. His son becomes man. And the Father looks at the son and says, oh, there he is. There's my man right there. And so the Father gives to the son all the kingdoms of the earth. Look at Hebrew, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 11. Revelation 11. Here's the day we're looking forward to. Revelation 11, 
right in the middle of the tribulation, the Father says this to, to the Son. Verse number 15, The seventh angel sounded, there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. See, while all this terrible tribulation going on down here on the earth, for all the reasons Scripture said it would happen, when that thing's running its course, the Father turns to the Son and says, Okay, they're yours. And the Son prepares for battle. When that tribulation draws to a close, He comes down here with a scepter to take what the Father gave Him and establish Shiloh. Giver of peace. That's Jesus. So He's our capital S, Shiloh, He's our capital S, Scepter. I'm voting for Him. Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank You for time we can spend together in the Sunday school hour. Thank You for men and women that want to get up on a Sunday morning, come to church, bring their children, their grandchildren to Sunday school. Thank You, Lord. We pray for our